Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello all, and welcome to a very different kind of episode of Paul or Nothing, which is the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and today I wanted to try out something that I teased back on the first part of our Pipes of Peace analysis, and this is something that I've been experimenting with on my Tom Waits podcast, which I never mentioned on the show, called Down in the Hole, whereby me and my co-host Tom, who you may remember from several turns on this show, uh, together we sit down with very little notes and very little pre- preparation, and we simply just sit down and listen to the album with you, the listener, or in, in our case, with our listeners. Hopefully there's a little crossover here between my Paul or Nothing listeners and Down in the Hole. That is the hope. Fingers crossed. But yeah, they are so much fun. When we go back and do them, it's so much of a fantastic opportunity to go back to albums that you've, you've already covered. Because even though, you know, you, you do an album on a podcast like this, it, it, it doesn't mean you stop listening to it. And your thoughts and feelings with these albums change and develop over time. So it's fantastic that I actually get to go back and perhaps revise thoughts or perhaps go into detail with points that I missed the first time. Because, you know, I'm older, I'm wiser and certainly more familiar with the overall arc of the McCartney discography. Not a full completionist. Of course, this show is built on kind of like the gimmick that I'm not a McCartney completionist as many of you hopefully know. I'm still learning and developing in my own way. But many of these first albums now, these formative solo McCartney releases, are now so familiar to me that I am, I guess I'm a little more comfortable doing this live. Obviously, I've always been so desperate to find some content that is easy for me to make in fallow dry seasons, and I hate leaving you lot with nothing to chew through. As I've learned from doing this on the other podcast, these episodes are quick and easy to make. And I actually had a couple of extra days left on my holiday than I thought I had due to a very, very kind rotor. So I thought, fuck it. Yeah, I I do hear some of you saying quite rightly that, Sam, you haven't even gotten around to doing Pipes of Peace properly. And yet you're already redoing McCartney slash McCartney 1. And whilst I totally understand that... I also just want to go back and listen to some of these albums and have some fun with this music, with you guys, you gals, and everyone else in between. Obviously, I don't remember all of the points that I missed the first time around. Obviously, it's a bit too late for you to let me know if I missed out anything on McCartney 1. Hopefully, just my general miasma of knowledge that has seeped through over the years will be enough to catch up. But if there was anything I missed from Ram or from Wildlife, Red Rose Speedway, these are going to be ones that I'm going to be working on very soon. Any of the future releases in this little side series, I think I'm going to be calling it just simply Listen With Sam. So yeah, welcome to part one of Listen With Sam. And here's your chance now to get involved with this little side series. If there is anything I missed or if there's anything that you just want to fill me in or let me know about on these future releases, Ram, Wildlife, Red or Speedway, like I say, then please drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. As you know, that is the best way to keep in contact with the show. Also find us on Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. Type in Paul McCartney Podcast or Paul or Nothing into Facebook and YouTube. You can check out the blog at 
www.pormacartneypod.wordpress.com to find some extra content that we may not be able to fit on this show or maybe see where some episodes started out. Leave us a five-star iTunes review if you have the chance. I know many of you are, and I'm in eternal thanks for that. And finally, if you want to help support the show, help keep the lights running, or just help support me as an independent content creator who is doing this in his spare time, whilst also doing a full-time job and trying to live life to the fullest and all of that bollocks, then please go check out our Patreon where you can help support the show as little as $1 a month. And yeah, I guess that is it, folks. There's not really a whole lot to explain with the format of this show. I haven't taken all that many notes. I've just wrote a few bullet points down to kind of keep me through. I've listened to this just once briefly before recording this episode, just to refresh my memory of it. And, oh, I am so excited to dig into McCartney, or McCartney 1, as it is affectionately known on this podcast. Whilst all the other Beatles would be defined by their first post-Beatle releases, McCartney undercut all the competition here with McCartney slash McCartney 1 being one of the few full albums that was released whilst the Beatles were still together. McCartney's post-Beatle release quite obviously would be Ram. But this, this is all just songs that McCartney was working on at home, songs he couldn't quite fit onto Beatle records and just stuff that he kind of came up with on the fly once he kind of realised that he was actually making an album. Because this wasn't always meant to be an album. McCartney's home system for recording was initially kind of just meant for demos, so he, he could bring stuff into the studio and be like, oh, hey guys, you know, this is a song I was working on last night, isn't it cool? So he wouldn't have to either play it on guitar or he could, you know, work on something a little more complicated. But now... With all of this stuff, with all of these little tracks that he's put to one side or didn't quite know what to do with, in the furore and the frantic infighting of the Beatles' breaker, and in an attempt to sweep in before everyone else could do the exact same thing, and he's essentially cobbled together what loosely could be called an album. You know, this could be a very long glorified EP if all of the instrumentals and certain other tracks were cut. Of course, this wasn't the only reason Paul rushed to get this album out. He was also trying to use McCartney 1 as a way of getting in the way and muddying the sails of Let It Be, which had, from his perspective, just been butchered by Phil Spector. So anything he can do to confuse brand recognition will only work in his favour, even if it's just out of spite. This is most likely the primary motivation as the trophy for releasing solo Beatle material had already been won and beaten to the punch by Ringo with his Sentimental Journey album just a month earlier in March, which was an actual proper album. And whilst the self-titled John Lennon Plastic Ono Band album wouldn't have been released till October later that year, the live piece in Toronto recording had been, and so therefore Macca would not be able to, you know, even achieve a solo Beatle record first... So him wanting to seize the announcement of the breakup and muddying the whole let it be scenario is probably where he was going to get his victory. Seriously, McCartney was not playing ball at this time, was he? And the rebelliousness surrounding this album carries over into its guerrilla recording style, with either McCartney doing it all, you know, homemade, handmade at home, or booking sessions under pseudonyms to hide his identity from prying eyes. But yeah, he put it out there right away with his self-aggrandizing, wanky-offy, self-promotional interview that also came with it, 
I'm sure I'll be dipping into that interview at some point whilst listening to the album as well, as it is just the most hilariously self-aggrandizing thing I think I've ever read. Love you, Paul. And as we all know, this album wasn't particularly well received at the time by anyone, really. Um, Though it hasn't really had one of those turnarounds that albums like... Back to the Egg, Ram, Red Rose Speedway, Wildlife have had, where they've developed a real cult following. You know, I don't really see many people putting McCartney, McCartney 1 in their top five post-Beatle McCartney albums ever, even if we take Wings out of the equation as well, just the solo post-Beatle McCartney releases. It, you know, it really hasn't had that Ram revisionist moment when everyone has kind of come round together and said, no, 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 guys, we need to go back and reevaluate this. McCartney, McCartney 1 is one of the great lost post-Beatle albums. You really do have to look at it for what it is. It is just a collection of home tapes and demos and half-fulfilled ideas and song fragments that McCartney has thrown together, mostly just as a business move to fuck over the other three Beatles, rather than him working on this for months and months and months in gestation, from concept start to concept finish as an album. That's not going to be until our next episode, Ram, when McCartney actually does this. The downside is, is that since it's mostly just a business move rather than an artistic endeavour, it's going to suffer. There's not a cohesive run-through or narrative. The only real connective tissue that most of these songs have is that they were all written around and during the Beatles' breakup, so you can read into each song what you will in your own Freudian or Jungian sense. Of course, I'm not going to stop you. I'm probably going to be doing the exact same thing. I guess maybe you could also say that the other connective tissue is the production style Obviously, McCartney, towards the end of the Beatles, really wanted to get back to that please, please me sound, that that rough and ready quarrymen doing in spite of all the danger, crackle, nostalgia sound that he really wanted to go for. That's originally what the Get Back, Let It Be sessions were gearing towards before Phil Spector came in. And now, since he's on his own, he gets to do that in full effect. The album is very rough, it's very ready, like I say. The production is very minimalistic. McCartney is simply recording a couple of instruments here and there and throwing them on a little four-track or eight-track loop. It's not very complicated. McCartney has seemingly done everything he could possibly want to do with George Martin in that wickedly, overly complicated, detailed and ambitious type of production. And, you know, in response to this, his mood, you know, in the way that McCartney always does, you know, he'll, he'll never do the same thing twice, is to do something really simple. And looking at the album in that context, knowing that homework going in, does allow you to grasp what's going on a little bit more. But the problem is, I don't know how many people knew all of this information going in. And like so many McCartney releases that we've talked about on this show, I have the benefit of being some while sat here at the time of recording in 2019 as a guy who is now in his late 20-somethings, but I still get to see this music for what it is, without all the annoying context and historical baggage that came with it. And it does allow for a more enjoyable music experience. But what I will say is that I am very grateful for the opportunity to revisit an album like McCartney One because even just listening to it a couple of times, I've spotted things that I'd never seen before and I'm glad that that, that I can talk about them. So without further ado, uh, I guess 
the best thing to do is to get you guys to sync your copies of McCartney with me. Uh, I'm actually going to be playing the vinyl, so we'll be doing side one, the lovely Linda, right the way through to Man We Was Lonely. And then you'll have to pause after Man We Was Lonely as I have to flip the disc over and we'll have a short discussion at the end of side one as well. This is definitely a vinyl based series. Uh, as many of you have seen on the Twitter, I have the entire McCartney collection from now right the way up till press to play. So I guess I've got at least a few months till I have to worry about getting flowers in the dirt on vinyl. But yeah, without further ado folks, uh, if you want to ready up your versions of McCartney, McCartney 1, whether that's going to be online, on Spotify, on iTunes, or a vinyl copy yourself, I am now holding the needle in my hand, and we will be playing as of now. And there we are, we kick off with the lovely Linda. I guess I never really paid much attention to the bass in this song. Like, in my head, it was always one take. But yeah, Maka actually goes back and willingly builds upon a song they could only get 30 seconds out of in the first place. That being said, I know it sounds very saccharine. This is generally one of my favourite Maka tracks to date. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a big public display of affection. That is a love song. And the thought of dedicating and naming your first post-biggest band ever song after your partner is just so lovingly mushy that I cannot resist it. And the laugh from my car is still one of the best things ever. And oh, I love that door creak too. Then we come on to That Would Be Something, the first of the many stripped down twangy numbers that adorn this release. It's interesting that this will be the first official proper song on the album, because we know Mac is not stupid. We know how songs are going to be received and how to construct an album. But we also know that he was somewhat rushing this release out there. So I can't tell if it's a case of poor song sequencing or whether Paul has intentionally put the most raw and basic track from the list and put it right up front as a statement, you know, McCartney's dead, long live McCartney sort of thing. This is going to be simple and raw and basic and we shouldn't be expecting anything else. You know, this is here to set up our expectations as it were. Though, it is pretty mad to consider that this is the very first thing many people would have actually heard after the Beatles had just announced their split. And following something as lush as Abbey Road, I can see why people were not exactly enthused about this release. <laughs> like, I can see some people at this point being glad that Let It Be wasn't a totally stripped down, low production affair like McCartney intended. That being said, I can remember already really digging this song the first time I heard it. And a lot of that has to do with expectations. Like, I'm not even sure if I was a Beatle completionist at this point, but I had no preconceived notions whatever going into this album. I was in the tail end of my formative years, I guess. You know, late teens, early twenties. And that, that kind of made me primed for this album to do well with me. Lyrically though, this song is somewhat deficient and it feels like McCartney is, is already in desperate need of a strong songwriting partner. Uh, it strays a little too far into the going nowhere slowly camp. I'm kind of worried I'm coming a little hard on this one. Because I do like the vibe, I do like the atmosphere. 
I do enjoy being in this strange little world. But it, it is just one idea played over and over again. And if that's not your jam, you're really going to find this one dull. And there was that little fake ending that I've never been a fan of either. Moving swiftly on, and we come on to the first of the 55,000 instrumentals on this album with Valentine Day. Not Valentine's Day, as you naturally are inclined to say. This album is very nostalgic for me in two regards. Because not only was this one of the first vinyl purchases I ever had, it's not only one of my first McCartney listens in general, but now with this show as well, it, t it takes me back to when I was coming up with the idea to do it as a podcast in the first place. When, when I was going door to door charity fundraising. And I can still clearly picture doing the notes for this album on the notepad folder that the charity themselves provided for me. I think when I first reviewed this album, I was probably a little greener and definitely less well read in music criticism and McCartney. Looking back now, I think I may have been a little too soft on this album. When I read criticisms that the album had songs that were kind of half-finished, I brushed it off as they're not getting the groove, man. But here and now, yeah, this song surely needs a second draft. Don't get me wrong, I love the intro for this song, and every time I listen to it, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this one. This one's really cool. But once you sit through the random breakdowns, like we, we hear here, and the drum feels, you feel like this is just... You realise that this is just textbook aimless McCartney just fucking around. Like, this is something I've been ruminating over a lot whilst looking at wildlife and wings over America, but there seems to be a basic production issue that McCartney willingly imposes upon all of his virginal releases. Then we swiftly move on to a track that is one of my absolute favourites from this album with Every Night, an absolute gem of a song. I'm not going to say it's a diamond, but it's surely a McCartney ruby or something of that quality. I know I'm being nostalgic with this episode, but McCartney in 79 must have been similarly nostalgic for his own work as he would go back to this song and another from this album that I'll mention later and made it a part of the Back to the Egg slash Wing 79 UK tour. Like, and this song is just so much better on that release. I'm gonna say it now. I'm sorry fans of this album. I do love this version of Every Night and I know I rank on the version of Maybe I'm Amazed that McCartney does live and the way he changes it. But the way that they change Every Night to a, a thudding, rocky kind of junker of a song is just so alluring for me. And it's such a dynamic reinvention of a song that you rarely see in McCartney's work. You know, he is known for making songs a little bit better live, but the way he redoes every night is just something else. I consistently remember that my first experience with this album was how it was this song that officially won me over in the first place. You know, we've had we've had this occasionally ropey twangy number and two half-baked type tracks, but here this is the first actual song. The production is an obviously massive step up from the previous tracks as well, 
And that, of course, is because this track is part of the magical cadre of tunes that exists solely because McCartney clearly panicked when he saw the release date approaching and realised that the album actually needs a couple of decent, proper songs. And Every Night is indeed just that. Songs like this are always a little bittersweet, though, when taken in the wider context of the album. Because, again, the song is basically stripped back, but it has a composition with decent melody and wonderful lyrics, a.k.a. a proper McCartney song. And it kind of makes you wish that he put in the same kind of, not effort, but forethought into the rest of the album. Next up, and we have the second of our instrumental numbers, and yet another song where McCartney references the sun. This is Hot As Sun, which moves on to Glasses. Again, we have another song fragment here. I like the riff, I like the tune. It has a fun and exotic atmosphere. But again, doesn't particularly really go anywhere. It's not very inspiring. I'd like there to be a second movement, a twist, something extra. Not a second song tacked on the end to make it seem like it's going somewhere. I want him to give this album some room to breathe. So many of these songs need a second stab and this is one of them. Those strange synth machines though that make up this song that we hear now somehow really conveyed that sweltering heat that a song you know, with the title Hot As Sun should be. And you know, despite being so synthetic, it managed to evoke such an organic mood. Of course, this is the second song that was surprisingly picked up by McCartney nine years later as part of the UK Wings tour of 1979. And again, they actually give this song a better live rendition of the song that appears on this album, which is, you know, after our last couple of episodes, quite clearly a trait that Wings is displaying consistently. Had the subsequent Japanese tour not been cancelled, there's a solid chance that it actually would have been a part of that tour too. Uh, just moving on to the glasses part now. This is a very haunting, ethereal part of the album. I absolutely love this. Just these moments on McCartney albums where he kind of just makes you stop, uh, you know, your pop sensibilities in your tracks and makes you just go, what the heck is this? Um, strangely enough, though, on this album, on the vinyl, it's listed as Hotter Sun as one song and then Glasses as another. But every other release I've seen listed as Hotter Sun slash Glasses. Uh, not sure what the case is meant to be there, you know, they're, they're clearly meant to be... And speaking of proper songs, again we've got another absolute banger here in the form of Junk, one of the two songs from this album penned during the famously prolific Rishi Kesh writing sessions that mostly went on to the White Album. This is the song that essentially started my love of McCartney's music written for children or children's media, that kind of Rupert the Bear vibe. Like, it's hard to do the whole innocence and nostalgia properly without coming across as pandering and cloying, and yet here, McCartney manages to deliver a sincere nursery rhyme that would not be out of place in any childhood bedroom routine. This song also always reminds me of Tom Waits' own Broken Bicycles, a little crossover to my other podcast, Down in the Hole, once again. That's a song where Tom Waits covers the same kind of material, literally, you know, forgotten things. But this is the case where McCartney actually did it first. The flip side where Tom Waits did it first, though, is that he actually used George Hurrell for his own Foreign Affairs album cover in 77, when McCartney used it for Press to Play in 86. 
I'm actually glad I got got to get that out on this show rather than on the other podcast. This song also highlights to me something that's rather unique about this album in that rather than having just a couple of acoustic numbers followed by loads of ballads and rockers, instead it's the complete opposite. We have a couple of rockers and ballads and loads of acoustic numbers, which is one of the main charms of this album. You know, that there's, there's such a simplistic do-it-yourself feel when it's just McCartney and his acoustic, like we hear here. You know, and if you are just a bit bored of the obligatory McCartney acoustic numbers in his latter career, then maybe this album could be a bit of a breath of fresh air for you. And moving along to the final track of Side One with Man We Was Lonely, which is kind of a song that I've always felt really should have been the rightful opening track for McCartney, McCartney One both thematically, in the sense that it would be us moving on from the lovely Linda to Paul and Linda literally singing together. More importantly, singing about post-Beatles blues. But also in the sense that this song just has a fantastically enrapturing and mysteriously alluring down the rabbit hole feel. Like You really feel like you are gearing up for something when you hear this, rather than winding down side one. Obviously that doesn't apply to latter digital CD releases, but you know what I mean. Also, there's the way that that would be something, the song that does start off this album. It ends with like a hard break drum wind down, which in my mind would have been much more suited here to end side one rather than open the whole album. Again, not to spend too long on this point, but the two songs are, you know, a good point of comparison. This track is much more streamlined in its production and it sounds much cleaner with another really gorgeous guitar tone that... I wish McCartney would have experimented more in later releases because he almost seems to step back as a lead guitarist from this point which is a shame because here on this album we get the loads of McCartney the lead guitarist which if you know anything about the true history of the Beatles is something that he was always interested in doing from the get-go and having him indulge in it here is so much fun and you know we've discussed that that would be something could be more seen as a statement for the album, you know, in terms of production, like saying, you know, this is what it's going to be, don't get your hopes up too much. This song just is just better, you know, it actually moves and changes and tells a complete story in as much as a regular McCartney song does. But at least it doesn't leave you just sat there thinking, hmm, do we need another take at this one? Of course, me being a big fan of songs like I Am Your Singer, I was always going to be you know, smitten with a song like this at first sight. You know, again, most of thematics. Of course, I'm always weak to songs that feature both Paul and Linda singing together. Linda's voice here is so fantastically and naturally suited to singing with Paul, even though she's not naturally suited to singing. I mean, could you imagine having that double hitter of the lovely Linda followed by this? It would have been so romantic and powerful at least for soppy gits like me. Also, whilst it might be a bit of Macaganda, you know, the idea that Paul is singing about more post-Beatle or Beatle breakup blues, um, the, these, these slippings of the mask are so rare that whether they are forced or not, they are still appreciated. And for those of you listening digitally, if you could pause right there, because we've just reached the end of side one of my crackly vinyl. Uh, you now get the pleasure of listening to a guy flipping over said vinyl. But I thought it would be interesting to take a moment just to think about the collection of songs that we've just heard here. 
as a, a side. You know, we've just had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, slash nine songs, depending on how you are looking at it. But this is just coming off Abbey Road. It's not a fair comparison, I know, but it's the comparison that every Beatle fan would be thinking in 1970. Let's forget for the moment that I get to record this as a 20-something in 2019, you know, with that hindsight luxury. Paul has just announced that the Beatles are over. We didn't know at this point that Lennon was wanting to divorce from the Beatles much earlier on. So there is already an automatic, <laughs> not resentment against Paul, but there is an expectation like, you know, you've got to deliver the goods here, Paul. The Beatles are no more. You've said so. You've finalised it. What have you got in the meantime? And he hasn't come out with Ram or Band on the Run. He's come out with this. And if we put Every Night to one side, because that is a fantastic tune, a tune that is doing very well on the Twitter with our Paul McCartney alphabetical polls. Let's put that one to one side. And how much prestige material have we had here? Not a lot, folks. There are some fun tunes here. I've enjoyed listening to this first half of this album, and I really hope you have as well. But I can understand that there weren't too many people that were eager to turn to side two, and that there were many who may have just been a teens a little bit worried based on what they just took in. Let's get ready for side two. Everybody line up and press to play now. Here we go. More guitar. Oh, just listen to that. And just like that, we move on to side two of this wonderful vinyl. And what better way to do so than with Ooh You. This was one of the many instrumentals for this album originally until McCartney came back to it and added a vocal track possibly out of a panic, you know, that kind of latter stage production of the album where he needed to fill it out a little more. And oh my God, I'm so glad he did. The vocals in this are just so cool. Like McCartney just lets rip it. He's totally having fun. And you know, this is one of those great songs where we get to see Paul use every part of the buffalo and get every last penny's worth. Not only out of a really cool vocal melody, but also out of this dirty ass, sexy guitar riff that he's come up with that you can just hear now. You know, it's, one, it's definitely one of those moments on a McCartney album where he wants to remind you that he too can shred, especially in this post-Beatles world of Lennon and George. And Paul does so with this incredibly gnarled and distorted guitar tone that we've never seen him work in before or since, which is a real shame because this is so raw and understated and it just oozes cool. You know, several of the songs on this album are awfully burdened with the, with the thought that they could have possibly been you know, done better in a more professional studio environment. But with this song, it just doesn't have that. This is bold, it's in your face, and it's so slightly un-McCartney, which gives it a fantastic edge as an opening solo statement for side two. You know, for me, this really is the go-to one. Yes, Maybe I'm Amazed is a fantastic, timeless number, but when it you know comes to me going back and listening to songs from McCartney, McCartney 1, this is the one that I listen to most regularly. It's one of those songs that I never skip on a, on a shuffle, I'm pretty sure it was probably on my cannon fodder list on the original episode back three, you know, three years ago when I did it. I don't know why, but I also remember that 
This song was a, a song that an ex of mine found to be very un-PC and very not 2019. You know, like, dress like a woman, talk like a baby, cook like a woman. Perhaps it hasn't aged too well in the post-Me Too world we find ourselves in. But we also have Paul with his cheeky sexuality all over Egypt Station, so who knows? And just like that, thankfully, I just had enough time to talk about that then, we move on to Mama Miss America, the third of our instrumentals here. Though oddly enough, despite being clearly in two parts this song, rather like Hotter Sunglasses, this only has one title. The opening section here is some very interesting stuff actually, especially since it's literally coming out of McCartney's house somewhere, and even though, you know, for lack of a better term, it's being produced by analog means, and just, you know, despite that, it's got this really chilled out atmosphere, a really synthy, squelchy, smooth groove that makes you feel like you're listening to a, a bit of a predecessor to what would become McCartney 2 and onward. It's a fantastic justification for why this album should or could exist, because McCartney's clearly able to do so much with so little here. You know, because whilst we are going to get the misfires, especially in the instrumentals department, what you also get is this. You know, this is the instrumental that the other two wish that they could be. Oh, and that bass line as well. That's just pure cool Paul, isn't it? But, you know, if this turned up as like a demo for the McCartney 2 sessions, I really don't think it would be that hard to believe at all. And it's songs like this, to be fair, that probably do allow that through line to go from McCartney 1 to McCartney 2. second part of this song which kicks in here with that drum roll and this again another very sexy guitar riff with a similarly warped guitar tone that was used in Uyu. you know these two songs do kind of have a chronology together they are almost one large suite and of course I'm not going to complain about that Mecca is again reminding us in that let me roll it live show kind of way that he can rock too even if it is a little meandering in places but I'm glad that Paul gives us a little bit of variety here and dips back into a darker slash heavier side of this album so soon just after Ooh You. You know, he's, he, he's really keeping up the, the momentum of making Side 2 a little bit more exciting, especially for me at least. Not only that, whilst listening to this song before recording this, this episode just, just now and doing my notes, I was immediately reminded of another song in his collection, the, the uh, closing three-part movement from Egypt Station, Sea-Link. Not only because they are both multi-part songs, but also just that it has that great McCartney fucking about in the studio, creating some great rocking riffs, and letting us 
peek at a side of him that he probably should exploit more but doesn't and the fact that he doesn't rock out in this way on every album on every song does admittedly make moments like this just feel all the more special it's like ah oh, paul's doing this yes that baseline again Like, that was exciting, wasn't it? That was a fun song that actually went somewhere and did something. It grabbed you. Pressing fourth now, and we have Teddy Boy, a.k.a. the song where Paul McCartney starts to tell a story and then just kind of stops telling the story. And then, because of that, the song ends. Rather like Valentine Day, this is going to be one of those songs that I feel like I'm that I'm enjoying at the start of the track, like, especially in this part here, you know, it, it, it feels quite solid here and that's gonna go somewhere. But once I get to the end, I kind of realize that I'm really not fussed about it at all. And the journey was very surface level, like very surface level, which is a shame because like I say, those opening chords, those opening strums do have a sprinkling of that classic McCartney quality to them. And even this chorus here, you know, you really do feel like you're about to embark on what's going to be another McCartney household name tune. But after this chorus, you know, until the next track, you're going to start genuinely feeling the annoyance that Harrison and Lennon must have felt as Macca incessantly banged out this tune during the protracted Let Be sessions. It is one of those songs that I do feel genuinely regretful about how objectively unfinished it is because there is a strong urge from inside my body to want like this song and I love the sentiment and the emotion and you know the mother-son relationship is pretty unique for a McCartney song but it's just not rounded off properly is it it screams the kind of song that Lennon would definitely come in and spruce up and finish off for Paul and yeah, a lot of this debut episode of this side series has been me ragging on how a song needs to be finished. But it really is hard not to notice the blatant lack of a certain special something that would allow this song to rightfully ascend. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this is a disaster or anything. You know, this song is still charming enough for what it is as a little ditty, but I know Paul can do better. You know, all of this is set up for an unfinished story and a composition that offers nothing new once you're 30 seconds in. And we've just repeated it there. And we'll end with a couple of strums. Coffee. Next up, I'm having a bit of deja vu with Sing Along Junk, AKA the song so good that McCartney just had to do it twice. No, don't panic folks, do not readjust your podcasting apps. Nothing's gone wrong with my vinyl, as I mentioned earlier. Yes, Paul is literally just doing all of this again. I mentioned, again, I mentioned this earlier, but coming at this album with a more seasoned and veteran eye, I'm starting to become all the more aware of the cracks, shall we say. And the notion of the infamous filler instrumentals of the McCartney, McCartney One album have never been more in my face than right now. Like, not only has Paul decided to give us an instrumental track, but it's not even anything new. It's literally just an instrumental of a track we heard about 10 minutes ago. 
I know instrumentals of tracks were a bit of a thing back in the day, and you can see examples of that on many B-sides for singles, like Give Ireland Back to the Irish and We All Stand Together, but they only really work as filler for a B-side of a single, which at the time was meant to be throwaway, but this is an album, you know, following on from the, the inception from, say, Rubber Soul, Revolver Pepper onwards, that an album is a collection of songs that moves and goes places and, and has a narrative and we're just not seeing that here at all are we it's inclusion here no matter how cutesy or fun even if you do as the title says and sing along you know pretending you're Paul McCartney that's all great but the lack of originality here is shameless and I know a lot of people rag on the third disc of George Harrison's debut solo triple album all things must pass for being nothing more than a jam session. But here, right now, I wish Paul could have just thrown together some sloppy, rough and raucous jam scribble than give us this. You know, we've spoken about half songs a lot already, but I'm not even sure if this is a third of a song. Like, Paul could have just gotten rid of this and expanded on other songs on the album. Go back and finish Teddy Boy, give me a little bit more of, of Mama Miss America, you know. That would have been a much better use of time. And it even just ends like that. It's just, oh, I'm, 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 and we're done. It's almost embarrassed. A song that he's not embarrassed of, though, a song that he's still playing to this day, and you can hear it right, right away. We're coming on to Maybe I'm Amazed, which is, of course, the song that 100% does all the heavy lifting in explaining why this album deserves to even exist in the canon. It's quite rightly regarded as one of Macca's strongest, most powerful, most affecting love songs, which is no mean feat right out of the gate with his first solo release, but by golly, he's done it. What I'd like to know, though, is whether Macca ever had this song, you know, penned as a potential Beatle hit. I mean, the song is of Beatle quality, and there is ample room for a solid three-part Beatle harmony right here, as well as a heavy George Harrison solo later on. But as far as I'm aware, there are no bootlegs of Macca playing this one in front of the Fab Four. And rather like John, it does feel like Paul may have possibly saved this one in his back pocket as a bit of insurance, because he's a smart guy and he always has a plan. And here we come on to the solo. Oh, it's just great, isn't it? And the second guitar laying on top as well. That's just angelic. So, you hear a lot of uh, people out there talking about the Green album. Uh, you'll obviously be aware of the Beatles Red and Blue albums, the uh, compilation albums. Well, there was going to be like a Beatles Green album, essentially, where it's a kind of uh, both a hypothetical album that the Beatles would have done after Abbey Road, as well as like, you know, a, a kind of greatest hits of all the solo stuff. But when people kind of create their own post-Abbey Road, post-Let It Be album, depending on how you're looking at the ordering, you know, Maybe I'm Amazed is always in there. Maybe I'm Amazed is always selected as one of the songs that McCartney definitely would have included on the next Beatle album. Um, so knowing when exactly it was written would be very interesting. 
But yeah, this song has a 1970 number one Beatles single written all over it. Of course, a lot of you know about my gripes with this song in terms of how Paul plays it live. And of course, I myself know that I'm in the minority there with that opinion. But you can't tell me that you listening to this right now don't prefer this version. It's tighter, it's sung less melodramatically, and there's a rawness that is never translated to the stage. Like, this song here is more of a rocker, and the thing we get on stage is definitely more of a ballad. Oh, that's so okay. Finally, to round off the disc, we're going to wind down with the last of our instrumental numbers. The kind of Revolution 9 of McCartney 1, if you will. This is Crean Acror, or Crean Acrore? Ah, yeah, my original foe this was. This was the song that I can remember going off on the most when the original first episode came out all those years ago. And in all honesty, this is the song that I've probably had the least deviation of opinion on uh, since I first reviewed it. Of course, I feel sorry that, you know, any song had to follow Maybe I'm Amazed. And yeah, you know, I get it that uh, this is a song that is very experimental. You know, McCartney's really doing some very interesting things in the way he's stitching this very ambitious... Uh, almost animalistic multi-part song together which has so many disparate elements it's, it's very atmospheric he's doing so many environments and genres and genuinely doing something different that I did not expect when I first listened to this album and it doesn't sound like anything else on the rest of the album it's very unique in that respect so I can't accuse McCartney of not trying to do something different which in itself is very McCartney, but it's just boring. It's just boring, guys. None of it sticks. Like, I cannot overestimate how boring and forgettable this track is. You know, on the surface, it may seem like some prime Professor McCartney, but for me, this is the nadir of Paul's creativity, which is a shame, because whilst I feel like this is just another one of the doodles on this record, Paul obviously did put a lot of thought into it, which only makes it more of a misfire. Like, outside of the function of allowing you to wind down from the kick in the ass that was Maybe I'm Amazed and preparing you for the end of the record, the song has zero pleasure for me at all. It's all function and no art, which can be especially irksome considering the length of this one. And I mean, it's so long that I haven't been able to fill it up, so let's wind down with some of my favourite quotes from the McCartney interview that came with the promotional copies of this album. A few choice cuts, shall we say. The album was not known about until it was nearly completed. Was this deliberate? Yeah, 
because normally an album is over before it even comes out. Witness, get back. Why? I've always wanted to buy a Beatle album like people do, and be surprised as they must be. So this was the next best thing. Linda and I are the only two people who will be sick of it by release date, which is lovely really. Do you ever miss the other Beatles and George Martin? Was there a moment where you thought, I wish Ringo were here for this break? No. Assuming this is a very big hit album, would you do another? Even if it isn't, I'll continue to do what I want, when I want to. Are you planning on a new album or single with the Beatles? No. Is the album a rest away from the Beatles, or a start of a solo career? I suppose time will tell. Being a solo album means that it's the start of a solo career, and not being done with the Beatles means it's just a rest. So it's both. Is your break with the Beatles temporary or permanent, due to the personal differences or musical ones? Personal differences, business differences, musical differences, but most of all because I have a better time with my family. Temporary or permanent, I don't really know. Do you foresee a time when Lennon-McCartney becomes an active songwriting partnership again? No. What do you feel about John's peace effort, the Plastic Ono Band, giving back the MBE, Yoko's influence, Yoko herself? I love John, and I respect what he does. He doesn't really give me any pleasure though. Were there any songs on the album that were originally written with the Beatles in mind? The older ones were. Junk was intended for Abbey Road, and something happened. Teddy Boy was Forget Back, and again, something happened. And boom, folks, my vinyl needle has just come to a solid stop, and we are at the end of our first Listen With Sam episode. Corny as fuck title, I know. I'm very sorry for that. But yeah, I've had so much fun doing this, guys. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. I hope you're excited for the next episode. Obviously, we're going to be going through this chronologically in the same way that we've been doing so on the show. Or maybe not, you know, if you want me to listen to a different album with you next just drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com or hit me up on the twitter which is at mccartneypod check us out on facebook uh, which is check us out on facebook and youtube simply by typing in paul mccartney podcast or paul or nothing as always check out the patreon the link will be down below help support the show help keep the lights running and all of that and if you do like the show please do consider your support but yeah, that was McCartney 1. I've really enjoyed listening to that album. I'm not sure when I listened to it in full last, actually. Like, in full, in full, you know, with all the instrumentals and Karina Crawl. So that was a very fun experience, very nostalgic. I, it felt like I was back in my university dorm room looking at all of the Beatles vinyl sleeves that I'd crudely blue-tacked on the wall and left horrible blue-tack grease stains. And that's about it. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Sam Wells. You've been listening to Paul or Nothing. Denny's probably been playing us out for a few seconds by now. Peace and love, peace and love. Keep listening to Paul. Play us out, Mr. Lane. <laughs>